Good morning. Pastor got up at the end of his message one Sunday, and uh, he got done, and he was finishing up just before he prayed, and he said, next week I'll be preaching on the sin of lying. He says, to help you understand where I'm coming from to prep you for next week, I want you all to go home and read Mark 17 this week so you're ready for next week. <clears throat> next Sunday he got up, and as he prepared to deliver his sermon, the minister asked for a show of hands of how many of the congregation had read Mark 17, and all the hands went up. Minister then said, Mark only has 16 chapters, so now we will begin our sermon online. <laughs> Richard's not laughing. It's okay. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, his version of the Bible has Mark. Yeah, his version has, yeah. It's his own. He, he wrote that in there himself. So, yeah, if you're watching us online or listening, we have, we've been having a lot of fun this morning, so you're missing out. But uh, Ken's uh, communion message this morning really tied in very well with where we're going this morning. So we start off the year at Wasatch about talking how to kind of get our priorities in line, to, to be in line with the Lord, and how easy it is to get kind of out of whack spiritually, right? Where we just are kind of on our path, and we're going, 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 and then all of a sudden we realize that it's like, we seem like we're over here, and God's way over here, and we're like, you know, why am I frustrated and depressed, and why am I down, and why do I just feel this way and lethargic, and and it's just because we have done those things that over time, with just life, that it has just kind of drawn us away from God. And, and as we start this morning, I want you to remember this fact that everything around us in this broken and failed world, uh, Satan uses to draw us away from God, right? I mean, that's his whole intent, that the Bible says that, you know, once God has us in, in, in salvation, that there's nothing that can separate us. And Satan can't separate us. The devil can't bring us out of that fold of being in God's hands and God's presence. But he can distract us, right? He can make us look around and look away from God. And like we've talked about in, in the past of looking at our circumstance or our situation or looking at other people to kind of fulfill us and make us happy or other things. And Satan can distract us very well. I mean, you know, we... Uh, the three of us drive down from Bountiful every Sunday, and I, I'm telling you, just, just by the billboards alone, <laughs> on the way to church, it's extremely distracting. I mean, when our boys were little, Christy and I would share that sometimes Sunday mornings on the way to the church were the most volatile, hard times of our entire week because we'd be in the car and the kids would be going nuts and fighting and poking and daddy, mommy, he touched me. And I'd, dad would be like, you want me to pull the car over? And it would just be crazy chaos. And then we'd show up to church like, well, God bless you, right? You know, it was just nuts. And you know, we realized that Satan was using that time to distract us from what God had for us here. So maybe you could relate with that, that you know, there are those times in life where you just get distracted from that passion and that love and that pursuit of godliness. And so we started off the year looking at this and I'm thinking, well, we're, you know, kind of at the end of October, going into November and into the holiday, the Christmas season. And maybe some of us are distracted a little bit over the last 10 months. Maybe Satan's kind of pulled us away into different areas that we just don't feel that passion and closeness to God. So we're going to pick up as we kind of close out the year before the holidays and talk about our passion for God. The, the creative force behind all art, behind all drama, beside, behind all those 
creative theater productions that you see, all great music, all great architecture, all the great writings is passion, right? Someone just had a passion to just share this amazing thing with the world. And it seems that nothing in our world that is great is ever accomplished without passion. I mean, we see people with passion and they kind of ignite us a little bit, right? When somebody is on fire for something, even if we're really not into it, it's, it's amazing. I remember, you know, when, when Christy and I were in New York like 20 years ago and we thought, well, we'll do the, the Broadway thing. And we went down and we saw a couple, couple Broadway productions. One was really bad, but the other one just had so much passion in it that you couldn't help but get caught up in the theater. You couldn't help but get caught up in the story and, and the emotion of what was going on in that. And it was just like an hour period. But I remember coming out of that theater production just like, wow, that was amazing. You know, we need passion to get up in the morning to be like, you know what, I'm going to do something in life today. Now, I'm sure everybody got up this morning just like that, right? You were just jumping out of bed going, hey, today is Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to do something for God today, right? Or was it more like, oh, just five more minutes. Please, just pull curtains. Oh, got to go again. Oh, my gosh. You know, when we don't have that passion in life, life is boring. Life is hard. Life is mundane. It's monotonous and it actually becomes kind of routine, doesn't it? We just kind of go through and flow through the motions without thinking about it. And it just, we kind of do what we got to get done and just kind of badly anticipate the next day or the next week, right? We got to have passion. And I think that God wants us to have passion in our lives. I mean, it was the great explorers that went to Antarctica and to Mount Everest and all these places that they had a passion to find what was out there that they would go through extreme hunger and difficulty and hardships just to find out what was there. It's passion that drives scientists to stay up late at night to try and discover the cure to diseases. It's, it's passion that drives athletes to go from being average athletes to being record makers and being the elite got to have passion in our life. God wants us, I believe, to love him with passion. And I believe that because I believe that God loves us with passion. An undeserved, overwhelming, uncontrollable passion that he would go to the depths of hell. He would even go to his death to bring us to relationship with us, with him. God loves us with passion, and he wants us to love him with passion. He wants us to love his bride, the church, with passion, to show up with enthusiasm and vigor and, and want to contribute and be part of something that, that is God's, and that makes a difference in the world. God loves, wants us to, to love each other and our spouses and our children with passion, and I think God wants us to be loved by others with passion, because literally it's, it's a human need. It's a human need. I remember seeing studies um, when I was in college about they would sadly take these little baby monkeys and they would put them in a very sterile cage with, with nothing in there. And these baby monkeys would just basically just wither away in their health 
not because they weren't fed, but because there was no love. It was just sterile. It was just stainless steel and glass, and there was nothing in there. And in one of the studies, I remember they put a simple little baby stuffed monkey in with the real monkey, and it literally changed everything. That little live monkey would cling on to the stuffed monkey as a friend, as, as a companion, as someone there with him. And the baby monkey began to eat again and to do things. You see, we need passion for us. And we need passion for God and for others. One day in the New Testament, there was a man that walked up to Jesus and he said, Lord, what is the most important thing in the Bible? Do you remember that story? What's the most important thing? And, and Jesus' response was, it's the great commandment. And what was the great commandment? What is the great commandment? You shall love the Lord your God. With what? With all your heart. With all your might. With all your strength. Now that's no little thing, is it? I mean, I can pick up a piece of chocolate and say, I love this chocolate. <laughs> but I eat it and it's gone. But to love God with all of our heart, with all of our might, with all of our strength, I mean, that takes intense effort. You see, nothing else matters in life if you don't love God passionately. And for the Christian, if we love God half-heartedly, it's almost as if we're wounding ourselves, isn't it? It's almost as we're disabling ourselves. It's like if we're in a race and we're like, oh, well, you know what? I got to do like the three-legged race. I got to connect up with the world and kind of tie our legs together and kind of limp along, right? Or instead, if we freed ourselves from that and we ran the race with all of our heart, we would reach that upward call of Christ and we would reach the goal and win the prize of the upward call of Jesus. As we come to talking about passion, this morning, I want to encourage us to have that passion for God. I'm going to be in Mark chapter 11, and then jump over to Colossians 3. Mark 11 and Colossians 3. Then in Mark 11:30, in the message version, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Now, that's a little bit different version from the New American Standard of the NIV that we normally look at, but I want you to hear it again. When he responded to that man and said, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. In other words, Jesus was saying, love God with everything that you've got and you're made of, with every resource, with, with every thought, with everything you have, every cell of your body, every breath of your lungs. Basically, God is saying, when you love me, don't be a wimp about your love for me. Don't be kind of namby-pamby, half-hearted about your love for me, but love me with everything you've got. Jesus is saying to us, if you want to follow me, you've got to have passion to follow me. You've got to give your, your following some oomph, a little spark, some zip, some enthusiasm, some zest. I want you to follow me passionately. Think about when you've been in love and you're passionate. Your whole world, your whole universe, your whole focus centers around another person, doesn't it? 
that's the way God wants us to have a passion for him. That our whole world, our whole life, our whole universe revolves around him. In fact, I think that the Bible tells us to love God and to seek him passionately. To obey and serve God with passion. Now, I don't know if anyone in this room has ever served God out of just sheer obligation. Or just serve God when you've been far away from God and just you just had to gut through and do it, right? That's painful, isn't it? I mean, that's just, that's just hard. And all the time you're serving and obeying, even though you are serving and obeying, your heart's not in it. And your mind is just going grumbling through like, oh my gosh, I just want this to be over. Right? I just want this to be done. Please make him quit preaching. Oh, whatever it may be. Right? That's why we got to have passion. Colossians 3, verse 23 says this, Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord, not unto men. Did you catch that? Whatever you do. Now we joke because we always have potluck after church, but it's like potluck is interestingly sometimes about serving God, not always serving others because even if we're making a simple meal we should whatever we're doing we should do it with passion for god saying god you've given me these resources and and i get to take these resources to glorify you to bring the stuff to bless others when we come to church we should be excited to interact and have fellowship with one another to talk about what's gone on in our weeks, to pray for one another, to, to uplift each other, to, to cry with each other when we're down, to laugh with each other when we're joyful, but to come together to seek the Lord. And when we leave and go out in that ministry field in the world, whether it's to work or with our neighbors, we go filled with God's goodness and a passion for serving Him in, as Colossians 3.23 says, in whatever we do. If we're working, we work with passion for the Lord, not for those bosses and other people. That's not what it's about. And it's really not to make an income. It's to show what it is to be Christian, to belong to God, to be a faithful servant. If we play, we play hard with passion. If we're a family, we should be there with passion. Now, that's always a fun one because we know what it's like to have family, right? As the old saying goes, <laughs> you can pick your friends, but what? You're stuck with family, right? And sometimes to love those other people the way God wants us to is challenging. And if our hearts aren't set on the Lord first, it's difficult. Again, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, and I want you to think about that, about what you're going to do this week. Because God's saying, in whatever you're doing, I want you to do it with all of your heart. As unto the Lord and not in the men. And that changes the way we live, doesn't it? Because if we're just going to work to get an income or just to do what the boss tells us to, if we're just getting together because we're supposed to, well, the life is just sucked out of that. But if we're doing it for God, we're doing it for God, and we have that passionate love for him because of his passionate love for us, then we do it with joy. We go through whatever, whether it's great tribulation or great enthusiasm, with joy because we're doing it for God. And we know that God's purpose is in there. We'll be in Romans 12 next.
Here's the amazing thing as you're turning to Romans 12, that in America, in the nation that we live, it's okay to be passionate about anything except God. Right? I mean, that's it's not politically correct to be passionate about God. I mean, you got to kind of keep that message down on the down low, right? Kind of hinder that down a little bit, you know, not show your religious self so much. I mean, you can be passionate about the movies you watch. You can be passionate about sports. You can be passionate about politics, passionate about fa fashions and clothes, about restaurants. But if you go out in public and you're passionate about God, you're going to get some funky looks and maybe some comments, right? When I was preparing for this, I typed in the word or the phrase, a passion for into Google. And everyone says Google is my friend and doesn't lie to me, but I'm, I'm a little confused by Google because when I typed in a passion for into Google, this is what came up. First, it brought me to Amazon, right? Amazon had a couple hundred books with those words in it, a passion for. There's a book called A Passion for Birds. For all you bird lovers out there, there's a passion for books for all you history buffs. There's a passion for cactus. I guess, Ken, maybe you've got that one living in New Mexico, you know. There's a passion for chocolate. Well, that one's totally understandable, right? There's a passion for fashion book. There's a passion for fishing, for flying, for gardening, for golfing, for hunting. There's even a book called A Passion for Mushrooms. There's a passion for needlepoint, a book on a passion for pasta, for ponies. There's a book called A Passion for Potatoes. I guess if you're in Idaho, that's a good one. A Passion for Shoes. And there even, was even a book called, way down the list, called A Passion for Steam. And that one I just don't even get at all, right? I mean, steam, it kind of comes and goes, but obviously someone's passionate about steam. You know, if, if we were watching, uh, you know, a football game or something, rugby, soccer, whatever you're into, golf, lacrosse, you know, and your team wins or they get the hole in the ball or whatever, it's okay to jump up and be like, yeah, and dance around the room and look kind of goofy and funny, you know, and throw your popcorn in the air with your hands like you just don't care, right? But if you're passionate for God, dare say you're passionate in church for God. You put your hands up like, whoo, praise God. Now you're deemed kind of weird. Right? You see, the world's got it all wrong. We need to be a real fan of God, not a sports team, you know? We need to have a passion for God and our, our service to Him throughout this life because that changes everything. You see, the Bible tells us that we're not a citizen of the United States of America. Sorry, kids, even though you live here, you're just a tourist kind of traveling through for a couple 80-some years, right? The Bible says your real home is where? It's in heaven with Christ in eternity. In fact, Jesus is preparing that place for you now. He won't come back and get you till it's done, just like in the imagery of, of the groom and the bride that, that until the house was done being built by the groom, he couldn't go get his bride. Because his father's like, no, you need to be prepared for her. You need to finish the project before you go get your bride. And Jesus is finishing the project for us before he comes back and gets us. But just like a groom and a bride, you can see Jesus particularly preparing that home for you and me in heaven to bring us home to his father with passion. And one day when the father says, 
go, go get your bride. I don't think Jesus is going to be like, oh, Dad, seriously? I was on Nintendo just now, and I almost won. I don't think Jesus is going to be popping up in the skies above us going, all right, y'all, Dad said it's time, so come on, get on board. I think when Christ comes and the angels in heaven, not only is it going to be a very traumatic event visually and, and every other way and spiritually, but it's like, it's going to be amazing the love of God that outpours and overflows upon us as we come up to meet him in the air. Don't you? I don't think it's going to be some little blase event like, uh, you know, Jesus is going to be up in the air going, number 9,437,000, next. I think it's going to be this welcome home party like the world has definitely never, ever seen and never will again. We're going to passionately meet our Savior as our Savior passionately meets us. And we're united. We're united. But until that day, when we go home to Christ, whether it's through this physical death or we meet him in his return, whichever it may be, in this life now, God calls us to live for him. Now, we've talked many times over the years that, you know, today is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in Him. Whew, right? That's what we're like sometimes. We've got to turn that frown upside down. Remember, I've told you many times over the years, it takes 33 muscles to frown. Don't overwork yourself. It only takes 13 to smile. Give yourself a little break, right? Relax, smile. Oh, 20 muscles are relaxing right now. Oh, yeah. This is so nice. Oh, my jaw is hurting so bad from running. I'm just going to smile. 20 muscles are going to relax as long as I do this. Only 13 working overtime. In this life that we live now, we can live passionately for God if we keep our hearts and mind in the right place. And that's what we're called to do. Romans 12, chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives us some amazing words here. He says this, he says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. First he gives us a negative, and then he gives us a positive. We always want to end on a positive, right? It's like, well, give me the bad news first, and then give me the good news. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Okay? We need to keep the spiritual fire going. And what that means is we read that about Paul, that Paul says, don't be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor going. It's like that tells us something. It's not just automatic, right? It doesn't just automatically happen when you become a Christian that God just flips this electrical light switch in your life that you're always going to be on. Some of us in our spiritual life, unfortunately, have some dimmer switches, and we use them very well, don't we? We have that spiritual light on, and then over time, we're going to turn that switch down. Why? Because, well, you know when that light's on and it radiates, it's kind of whoo-hoo, right? It's kind of like when Ellen flips on the light, boom, the darkness, right? But God tells us that we are the light of the world and to keep that light on. When Moses came down from the mountain and he was radiating with passion for God and that Shekinah glory of God was all around him, what did the people do? Were they down there going, whoop, whoop, come on, Moses, come on. Hey, dude, you're glowing, man. Come on down. They're like, oh, no, dude, you, you need to cover that thing up. 
That's 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 a little bit too much radiating, Moses. I mean, you you were you've been too close to God. You just you were just radiating godliness and that Shekinah glory. You need to cover that thing up. That's what the world's trying to do to you and I. The world's saying, hey, we know you, you love God. God loves you. Yeah, we know the whole John 3.16 story. We've heard a lot of times, but you need to muffle that thing a little bit. Right? Now, you can be passionate for anything else. You need to cover that thing up. And you know what we need to do as Christians? We need to let that light shine, right? <laughs> Take that covering off and just let it glow, you know? Even Jesus says in the, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us, you don't put a lamp on a lampstand to what? Cover it up. You put a lamp on the lampstand to radiate and bring light. Can you imagine the lighthouses in the 1800s if, if, if you know, you're the guy in the lighthouse and, and the neighbor across the street that has that light going whoop in your windows as the lights turn around comes over and is like, dude, I know you're trying to save ships out there, but you got to cover that thing up because it's radiating my window and it shines the whole house up like every 60 seconds. You got to cover that thing up. And the guy in the lighthouse is like, oh, sorry, dude. Didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Yeah, let me shut the lighthouse down and 15 ships crash, right? You're a lighthouse. You don't shut your light down. And you don't shut your light down because it's shining in your neighbor's house and they're bothered by that, do you? You are shining your light in that lighthouse to save lives to keep ships from coming in too close and crashing and having the entire group on the ship dying. You shine that light that they would lead and go to safety. And you don't care what the town thinks or the neighbor thinks or any of them. You shine that light to save others. And as Christians, that's the light that we shine to save others. So as we get into this, it really doesn't matter what people think, does it? Really doesn't matter if they tell us you, you got to turn that down. You got to enlighten that dimmer switch a little bit. It's like no, I'm going to let the shine, of glory of God radiate. In a book I read a number of years ago, it was called Living Forward, and the main focus of the book was about you've got to have this self leadership before you could lead others. You've got to kind of pay it forward in your own life before you can share that with others. In other words, it's basically stating this: you can't share what which don't have, right? And how can we share the passion of the Christ, the love of God with others, if we're that Eeyore Christian? Right? Remember Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh? Oh, oh. We gotta liven that up. We gotta be like Pooh Bear who finds a bucket full of honey. It's like, hey, life is good, right? Come on, let's dig in and get sticky. Life is good. We can't share a passion for Christ with others. We don't have the passion in our own life first. And so where we come this morning for the next couple weeks is talking about seven passion killers to avoid. Seven things in our life that kill our passion for God. Seven things in life that Satan tries to throw out there as distractions that cause us as Christians to put that dimmer switch for a passion for God down to low. Because now it's comfortable. It's not so invading, right? It's not so bright. We want to look at these things to avoid them. Now I believe 
over the years of ministry and reading God's word that people, Christians, are not passionate for God for one or two reasons. One is, even though they've come to salvation, they've never really made the time to personally know God and to know about Him and who He really is and the impact of God in their life. I sadly think there are so many Christians in or out of churches right now that claim the name of Christ, but they don't know who Jesus is. They don't have that personal relationship with Him that is near and dear, that they walk with Him, they talk with Him, they seek Him, they cry out to Him, and they listen for Him. And because of that, they have no passion for ministry, they have no passion for the church, because they have no passion for God. And that causes them to have no passion for others. The other group of Christians is another group that I think at one time they do did know the passionate love for God, that they did know the Jesus and how he impacted their life of all that he's done. But the problem is they have gone through circumstances in their life that created tremendous pain and tremendous struggle and tremendous disappointment. And they've slowly averted their eyes from their passion for Christ the pain that they're going through. The woundedness, the hurt, the shame, the guilt, whatever it may be. And they've forgotten to look at the one who can heal that and covers that with his love. The one who died for that and took that pain upon himself and says, you don't have to bear that and carry that. Instead, they've looked at that and kept their focus there. When Jesus is saying, I'm right here, let me take that burden from you. Because the load that I give you to carry is light. And in me, if you let me take that load from you, you'll find peace and rest for your souls. Isn't that biblical? Isn't that what Jesus says? Let me carry that load. I died and paid for it at the cross, laid it at the foot of the cross, and leave it there. Walk away. Don't look back. Don't turn back. Don't bring it back. Don't go back. Pick it up and carry it. Don't put it in your backpack. Leave it there. I know it hurt. I can relate. When I was crucified, I hurt too. When I looked over the masses that rejected me and killed me, my heart broke for them in the betrayal. I get it. And Jesus says, come and leave that pain, that guilt, that shame, that, that woundedness. And put it here at the foot of the cross because I will carry it for you. And what I want for you is rest for your souls and a light burden you've got to look to me and have that passion for me. So maybe some of us in this room fit one of those two places where we haven't really know God, known God closely, so we don't have that passion, which I don't believe that about us, but maybe there are some of us in here that have gone through horrible situations and we're focusing on the pain and the hurt and the woundedness, on the betrayal, on the, the shame, the guilt, and if that's where you're at this morning, let it go. Drop it at the foot of the cross this morning and say, God, it's yours. I don't want it anymore. I'm trusting you to carry this burden. And let me look to you, the healer of that, and develop that passion in my heart again. It's like the, the song we, we sing, Refiner's Fire, reignite that fire in my heart that I once had for you, that I would have that passion for you, that that zip, that zest, that enthusiasm. 
as Christians, we need to find our way back to God. And then once that fire, that little flame has started, just like a good camper out in the world, in the, in the woods, remember, some of you have seen the, the, the movie or the, the series Alone or Survivor and all that. Once they get that spark going, what do they, get, what do, they do? They keep stoking it, right? They keep adding more fuel, don't they? Because if they don't, what happens? It fades away and it fizzles out. When God reignites that spiritual spark, that refiner's fire in our life, we then take the initiative as Christians to say, God, what do I got to do to stoke that fire, man? What do I got to do to put more, more fuel on there, more wood on there? What do I got to do to add to that, to get that roaring flame going? That's our part. God will ignite the fire if we ask him to. Because as we all know, we don't have because we don't ask. And even if we ask, if we ask with what? Wrong motives, we don't get. But if our desire is to have that passion for God, God's going to honor that prayer. He's going to ignite that fire. And then it's up to, uh, up to us to fuel that fire. And part of fueling that fire is to start doing things for God that he calls us to do and then to stop doing things that separate us from God, right? We start something? Hey, you're going to start something? Yeah, you're going to start something, right? Yeah, bring it. Come on, I dare you. Next Sunday, we're going to be a Pentecostal church, right? woo -hoo. Well, maybe not quite that far, but we may get an amen or something in the sermon. I don't know. But we're going to start doing the things that draw us near to God and fuel that spiritual fire. And then we've got to stop doing the things that distract us from God. So that's what we're looking at. This morning, we're going to get through one thing. Christy's going, yeah, look at the clock. We're not going to make it that far either. We'll make it. We'll make it. First thing that is a passion killer for Christians is an unbalanced schedule. An unbalanced schedule. That means you are either overworking and exhausting yourself, or you are sitting on your lazy derriere and not doing squat, right? Either way is unbalanced. You ever be that kid on the playground in elementary school where they had the teeter-totters? I think those things should be illegal, but you know where they had the teeter-totters and you got the one kid on the teeter-totters like, hey, <laughs> get on. And you get on and you're on the other side and you're kind of bouncing up and down for a little bit. The other kid's a little bit heavier and he goes, <laughs> watch this. And he does what? He jumps off, and what happens to you? Bam! And it hurts, right? Either you're in the air, and you can't do anything because he's heavier than you, and you're stuck there, or he jumps off, and you smack the bottom. Either way is unbalanced, right? Right? When is the teeter-totter actually nice? When you're both working together, and it's a nice back and forth, right? An unbalanced schedule will affect our spiritual life, won't it? Either too much of doing too much or too much of not doing enough will cause us to be unbalanced and affect our spiritual life. Psalm 127, there's a statement that says this, and I'm reading out of a more modern version. It's Psalm 127 says this, It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing that you're going to starve to death, for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. Now, some of us in this room are going, whoop, whoop, that's a great verse. I got to go to bed and get some rest, right? 
Woo, I love that verse. I'm going to put that on my refrigerator and my oven and my stove and even my microwave. That's a great verse. God says, get some rest. i got to get some rest. Well, we'll talk about you guys later. Okay? This is for the ones that are working way too hard and are unbalanced. Hear it again. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing that you're going to starve to death. For God wants his loved ones to get some proper rest. That's for those in the group that are on that unbalanced side of just working constantly without a break, of always giving, always giving, never taking time to rest and relax and recoup. And you're always either doing ministry and you're always being generous, you're always helping others, you're always looking out for others, you're always doing hard things at work and staying way overtime. In fact, you've got overtime on your overtime on your overtime at work, right? And you're just going, going, going. And if you don't recharge your batteries, you're going to get what's called compassion fatigue. You're going to get worn out. And even though you're trying to do your best for God, because you know that God says, do work hard, which you should. But there's a limit to your work. Even God rested on the seventh day. As an example to us that, yes, I want you to labor and work hard for six days, but you got to have some time to recoup and quit giving and start taking in, or you're going to get compassion fatigue. And when you hit that point of getting compassion fatigue, here's how you know you're there. You just don't care anymore. You know that? You experienced that? You were just... Output, 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 output for others, for work, for church, for home, for everyone else, except for you. And you start to get that feeling of, I just, I just don't care. Whatever. Bring it. I, I don't care anymore. Have you been there? If that's you, God's saying, you need to stop working so hard. Now, that's weird that a pastor is going to tell you to stop working so hard, right? But that's what God says. God says, when I created the world, I worked for six days and created the universes and the world. And on the seventh day, I rested. The whole day? Oh, can you imagine? The entire day. Now, some of you may feel really antsy right now. But, I mean, like 24 hours of not doing something? Well, that's part realistic, but it's more applicable on the spiritual side that you need to find a place to recharge and recoup. Or you're going to burn out. You're going to get that compassion fatigue, and you're just going to stop caring. Right? It's okay to recoup. I mean, if it was good enough for God, shouldn't it be good enough for us? That's the example. Yeah, work hard for six days. Be a be a good example of the believers. Work hard. Be diligent. Be have integrity. Be, you know, upstanding. Go the extra mile. But then tell people no. And be honest about it. Just say, you know what? I have been giving out. I need some time to recoup for me. This is what I'm doing for me in my time with God. I'm taking a break, and I don't care what you're doing. No. The answer is no. I can't be at the family party. I can't work extra. No, I can't help you do that. No. I need to recharge. 
So that's one group. Now for that other group that loved that first verse so much. <laughs> right? Where, where you're going, yeah, God said I got to get some rest, man. I'm good at that. I need to rest a lot. Well, here's a verse for you. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Put this one on your refrigerator magnet. Take a lesson from the ant, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering in food for winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Here's for the group that does nothing. Well, I'm not really in any ministry. I don't, you know, if I, I, uh, I don't go into work that often. I'm just sick all the time. I call in sick so I can rest. I, I just don't do what I need to do at home. I'm not, you know, I'm not frugal about that. I don't plan ahead. I just kind of, I just, I'm really good at rest. I think I have a spiritual gift to rest. That's what I have. So I got to do it a lot. Well, the Bible also says in James chapter 2.17, to him that knoweth what good is and doesn't do it, sin sin so if we know that God wants us to work for six days hard labor and plan ahead so that we have enough for ourselves and enough to share with others and we don't do it that's purposeful sin in your life and my life and that's as bad as overworking and never taking time off and getting compassion fatigue there's a whole group of Christians in the church that do nothing those are the ones that I call the holy rollers, not the charismatic people. I call the ones that do nothing holy rollers. And you know why? Because they ain't doing nothing. They ain't giving anything out. They're always taking in and taking in and taking in. And like the little Oompa Loompas on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, they just are pudgy little guys because of all their intake. And sooner or later, you just got to roll them down the church aisles because that's all you can do with them because they're just taking in, taking in, taking in, taking, 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 taking. I never give. I don't give sacrificially, I don't give heartily, I don't give at all. I just take and take, and when it's all done, I take some more. And they're just, in essence, feeding, 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 but never giving out. That's unbalanced too, right? That's totally on the other end. Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.7 in, in a modern version says this. Take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Take the time and the trouble, which flat out tells us those words that it's going to take some what? It's going to take some personal effort. Nobody can do it for us. No, can, nobody can make us spiritually fit just by, you know, sitting next to us. Not by osmosis, their spirituality just rubs off on us, right? We don't get spiritually fit by just, you know, having the Bible under our pillow at bed and just by osmosis we'll sink and soak in, right? It means we have to take effort at it. There's stuff we have to do and stuff we have to abstain from, right? To have this passion for God, this balance in life, 
there's some things we got to say yes to that we haven't been doing, right? But on the other side, when the devil's trying to distract us by an overbalanced schedule or laziness, we got to let those things go and change our routine. For one of you, you got to say no to some things and some people. You got to take some time to recoup. On the other end, you got to get off your spiritual derriere and start doing something. Start giving sacrificially, blessing others instead of all for you. Whatever camp you're in, God's saying, I want you to be active and do something because I want you to have a balanced schedule. Because either way, if you're out of balance, you don't have passion for me. One, you're burnt out. And on the other end, you're just a lot of talk. Right? Isn't that really where it is? We need to have time either on the first side to make time to do these things, to carve out our schedule to do this. On the other side, if you're the lazy person, you need to start doing some of this stuff and get off both privately and corporately with other Christians, right? We need to have time to have fellowship with other believers inside and outside of church. We need to have times when we're reading God's word and praying and listening and growing in godliness. We need to have times of ministry of service where we're not just doing something for our personal gain or for our benefit, but we're actually doing something sacrificially to help others out. Whether they deserve it or not or ever say thank you, that doesn't matter. It's about that givingness of Christ. And if we always gave just to receive a thank you or just to get some benefit, well, Christ would have never died for us if that was the deal, right? I mean, Christ gave sacrificially to those undeservingly. And sometimes God calls us to do that. That's what ministry is. Wasn't it ministry when God saved you while you were still a sinner? You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn that. In fact, you were so far from that, it was ridiculous that God even took note of you but he ministered to you sacrificially. And we need to live in that image. We need times of mission and faith and sharing with others. That's what we have to do, right, as Christians? And then we gotta look at our schedule and realize if we're out of balance, we gotta make some decisions about that so that we don't lose that. Second Corinthians 13, five to seven, and we close with this. Jesus reminds us of these words that sometimes we're like, oh, that stings a little bit. But actually, in Christ, it's good because it draws us back to godliness. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 5 to 7 says this, Test yourselves. In other words, don't go out and test in everybody else. You're not that spiritual test checker in the church going, yeah, you're not doing this, and you're doing this too much, and you're not doing this enough, and you should be doing this. No, it says test yourselves. Look in the mirror. Be realistic. Are you overworking or are you lazy? Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. That's twice you're told to test yourselves and examine yourselves. And we all know in good biblical tradition, when something's repeated, it's there for what? Emphasis. Don't miss this. Test yourselves, examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? unless you indeed fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Passion for God starts with two things. Start doing the things that we need to do to draw near to God, 
stop doing the things that draw us away from God, that distract us and tempt us, and make us spiritually worn out or lazy. So the first thing to stop doing this week is having an unbalanced schedule. The challenge this week is to test ourselves, to examine ourselves with our schedule, make sure we're making time for God and ministry and the church, and also making sure we're not too lazy. Because there's a fine balance. God wants us to work, and he wants us to rest, but how? In the right proportions, right? So let's alleviate that one for our life, from our life and get that back in line. Turn our eyes back to Christ and begin to develop that passion for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that it is a light unto our path. It guides us and, and draws us back to the where we need to be when we veer to the right or to the left. We do get distracted or we... We see shiny things out, out there and go looking at them. We think things are better here or there. We just don't focus on the narrow path that you give us to follow. We thank you for your word that it speaks to us and cuts through our heart to the real issue, Lord, that we need to deal with with you. We pray this week that as we examine ourselves and test ourselves in the faith, that we would make those changes to prove ourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Lord, help us to learn to have a balanced schedule in you, to have that time with you. And once again, Lord, we pray that you would reignite that fire within our lives, that we could fuel it in relationship with you, to have that passion, that passion for our Christ that makes our life different than the world. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.